0: Again, it's so encouraging to see all of you this evening, starting next Tuesday, a week from this evening, we will begin to study Paul's letter to Titus, and it'll take us through the end of April. That's four months, three chapters, 16 messages, each and every one about the truth with a capital T truth. The epicenter, the literal precise center of Titus is chapter 2 verse 7. So I want you to open up your Bibles. We're going to be moving through the entire book of Titus this very evening. Okay? We're going to be going through. You're going to get the whole thing of it tonight. But let's start at the heart of it. Let's start at the center of it in chapter 2 verse 7. In all things... In all things, young person, in all things, show yourself, prove yourself to be a model of good works with purity in doctrine, dignified, sound in word, which is irreproachable, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having Nothing bad to say about it, about the truth, about the gospel, about the Word of God. Our lives ought to model the Word of God so that there's no one out there who could possibly say that's not the truth. You see, this doctrine and good works. Godliness and doctrine are melded together. Model godliness with pure doctrine. Impure theology produces ungodly practice. Bad practice produces bad theology. They're symbiotic. They affect one another. If you believe wrong things, you do wrong things. And if you start doing wrong things, guess what? Your theology is going to follow. You're going to accommodate your sin. Either sin will be bending the truth in your heart, or the truth will be bending sin to the will of God. So, our own Chad Balakian had the brilliant idea of titling each week with truth. Each week's going to have its own title, and each week features truth. Are you ready to hear the entire book of Titus in message format? You ready to hear all of the 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 survey of Titus in titles? Here it is. Ready? So think truth before each of these. I'm just going to say truth once. The truth, the truth, the truth. The truth leads to godliness, disciples, defines church leadership, reproves, works, shapes manhood, shapes womanhood, makes men, makes workers, transforms, composes, saves. Prophets protects and serves. That's what you're going to be hearing. That's all sixteen weeks right there in a nutshell. Now, urging slaves, urging slaves, Christians who were indeed slaves in the Roman Empire, Paul says to be subject to their own masters in everything. And Paul promises that they will, and I quote, adorn. The doctrine of God, our Savior, in everything. Adorn doctrine. Decorate truth. The Greek verb to adorn is cosmeo. You would recognize that. It's the word from which we get cosmetics to beautify, to make attractive, to dress up, to arrange, order, to trim a wick, even, to garnish. Why? Why should we adorn doctrine? Does the truth need our help? Does the truth need us to make it more beautiful than it is? Would doctrine be ugly without our adornment? You might remember Proverbs eleven twenty two is a very colorful picture. It says as a ring of gold in a swine's snout, So is a beautiful woman who turns away from discretion. Is the truth of God, our Savior, the reality of God, our Savior, a hideous doctrine which requires the assistance of us filthy sinners? He saved in order to appear more lovely? Is that what Paul's communicating? Didn't Proverbs just say that the most gorgeous woman on the planet is ugly without doctrine? Without the godliness it brings? So do our good works add anything whatsoever to God's truth? What is it to adorn a thing Does a little faint eye shadow make the iris actually more colorful and sparkly? Nope. Does a sprig of parsley or rosemary do anything whatsoever for the thick, sizzling, 16-ounce prime rib eye steak? Does nothing, does it? Does a florist make the actual blossoms themselves any more lovely by her floral arrangement? Absolutely not. Does a fashionista make the woman's form any more beautiful by her cut of dress? Nope. But God delights in his craftsmanship of our lives to showcase his truth. Our lives, how we think, how we speak, our attitudes, our words, our actions, our ambitions is God's favorite way to demonstrate the realities of his gospel. Four, Ephesians 2.10 uh, 10. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which by the way, God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Recently, I had this incredible uh, opportunity, a very generous dear brother paid a tailor. I can't remember. He had some weird name for himself, an artisan tailor or something. I don't know. I can't remember the name, but he made me a custom fitted tailor suit first ever time that I've had this experience probably the last time I'll ever have this experience and when fitting time arrived it astounded me how genius craftsmanship adorns it blew my mind there's absolutely nothing that fit weird looked awkward or cinches uncomfortably Every inch of fabric, every inch is cut and shaped to follow every line, every contour of my body like a glove. It was amazing. I had never experienced anything. I thought, wow, clothes can feel this way. I I felt like James Bond. Like I could beat people up in this suit. (laughs) This, there's nothing. You know, it was amazing. The lazy Christian is like a baggy suit on a statuesque sculpted body of doctrine. It hides the beauty. The legalist Christian is like a suit five sizes too small and is squeezing short and tight. But a Christian taking Titus seriously as I hope all of us do is a custom fit. It's adorned rightly. The reality of God, our savior. And do you recall that to adorn is to trim a wick? That was one of the weirdest ones in my estimation. Uh, why do we cut excess candle fuse? Why do we do that? Have you ever thought about that? What, what ultimately lifts from an untrimmed wick? That black billowing smoke, it stains the walls, it stains the ceiling, it stains the glass if you have that surrounding the candle. So if you and I profess to have the truth, to have God save us from our sins, but we are not led to godliness, developing disciples, raising more mature church leadership, reproving and being reproved, committed to good works, growing into manhood or womanhood, becoming godly young people, hard workers, transformed by the gospel, composed in peacefulness, sanctified and saved from sin, resolved to profit people and to protect our church family and diligently serving one another, how will the world perceive the truth? Like thick, choking, smoking, staining, billowing, corruptive, wafting wicks. Foul Offensive. I wanted to say smoke on the end of that, but I used smoke earlier. And so I kept choosing words as we went and I ran out eventually. Let's briefly preview. Now Paul's pastoral epistle to the young minister named Titus chapter one. We're going to take it in turn. Chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, chapter one. Paul says, hello, I'm God's slave. He means it. He said it. Don't change it. Hello. I'm God's slave, the ambassador of King Jesus. My life is devoted to strengthen the faithful allegiance of God's chosen ones by teaching them the truth, which is their King. By teaching them the truth, which only trains them in godliness. Forever enlarging their hope in the future reign with their king which the God who does not lie because he cannot lie promised before time began and he's never changed his mind as proven by the fact that his preachers are still preaching what they've always preached. Why? Because God commands us to preach King Jesus, to preach the person, the word of God forever made man. Only grace, only peace come from those kings of heaven and earth to their people. That's all their people get from the king of heaven and the king of earth. From, from God the Father and God the Son. Grace and peace, peace and grace, grace upon peace and peace upon grace. That's all we get. From our great kings. And it's a good thing because Paul has left Titus to organize the church plants from Paul's missionary journey on the island of Crete, which is right off the coast of Greece, much like Cuba sits across the shores of Florida. Now, how's Titus supposed to do this? How is he supposed to arrange or adorn, let's say, the churches there? These tiny little churches. How? Paul gives one solution. By appointing elders. By appointing elders. Where? In every city. You hear? The gospel is strategic. I I think we've lost this in American Christianity. Do you understand this is so exhilarating? This is so exciting that we are on a military campaign, not one of violence. But I pray, I pray right now, I am begging the Lord as I stand in front of you that God would raise up administrators from among you who would organize the strategy of missions to the nations. I am not a particularly administrative person, okay? Talk to Mark Padilla. Talk to Jake Musgrave. Talk to really any of the leaders in the room. Administration's not one of the things that God chose to endow me. I I have like one thing that I can do. And even that I struggle to do. We need organizers. We need administrators. We need strategizers. Missiology is strategy. Missions is strategic. It's not random. It's not, hey, let's just pray aimlessly and send money out thoughtlessly. No, we, we calculate. We prepare. We make young men go get training and, and are sh- proven as elders. And we want to send out our best. And we want to send them where the people are unreached. And we want to be strategic. We want to be meticulous. That honors the Lord. That glorifies God. This is, we are living the conquest of King Jesus. We are living the colonization of earth by heaven's throne. And we need to think on this. That is what's happening right now. That's our every breath. That's our every second. That is our life. Your career, your spouse, your children. Your education, your salary, it's all about the colonization of earth. Why do you think Satan wants people talking so negatively about colonization? Now, colonization by sinful men for sinful purposes and personal gain and achievement is wicked. But colonization from heaven to earth glorifies God. This is missions. Now, by whom must these local colonies of heaven be governed under King Jesus? Friendly, likable, personable, gifted, talented, well spoken, capable, successful individuals, right? No. Men, first of all, men, godly men, faithful husbands who faithfully disciple their children, who cannot be accused of wrongdoing or wildness. Let me, let me, let me confront something that's, that's growing a little bit more attractive in our culture, and it ought not. A sigma male, the lone wolf, does not care about stewarding God's family, living selflessly, not self-willed. If you've, if you've bought in young men, to the idea about being a sigma male, crucify it. It's ungodly. Ladies, if you think that a sigma male is attractive, stop it. Who does God put in command over his army? To paraphrase Paul, not the trigger happy Not the substance addicted, not the fighter or the agenda seeker, but the sacrificially friendly, they're hospitable. They're a friend to strangers who love what's good, even if they suffer for it. Always spiritually sharp, striving to live right in devoted love to God, mastering their own weaknesses and white knuckling the word of God as preserved through church history over their own opinions and feelings. That's the man. Get those men. And if they don't meet those qualifications, don't shoehorn them into a position of leadership. If you only got one man that's qualified, so be it. Do not make any excuses. Do not make any compromises. Young men in this room, listen to me. Every single one of you ought to be saying, that's the man I am to become. Not should become, not I'll think about it later, not hey, let me get through college and then now. These qualifications ought to describe you today, yesterday. Young women promote such things and the young men in your life. Promote them in your fathers. Promote them. Encourage them with gentleness and quietness of spirit. Live up to them yourselves so that the men around you want to strive after it. This will build the culture of this church. This will build the culture from which we'll all benefit. We all win if men act this way. Who else Is going to be able to challenge us. With sound doctrine. Who else is going to protect us. From heresy and heretics. Worldly people. Always attempting. To infiltrate the kingdom of God. With charm. And what do elders do? You see. Reprove them. What word is used to describe it. Reprove them severely let me ask you something real quick you ever thought that a christian leader a pastor an elder a shepherd is a man that above all things is ready to be severe with those who are trying to infiltrate the church with false teaching We need our elders to be such men. Why? Blessed are the peacemakers. It's challenged this week. Vishal Mangawati, actually, I saw a little excerpt of his speaking and he challenged my thought. Blessed are the peacemakers, not the peace lovers. Cursed are the peace lovers. Peacemakers will start a conflict. To make peace. Peace lovers will cowardly avoid conflict at all costs. Blessed are meek peacemakers. The meek are trained with the blade, but they keep it sheathed unless force is necessary. King Jesus, we forget, is the meekest peacemaker, and yet his tongue is a slashing blade. What's the fruit of godly leadership? Look with me at chapter 1, verses 15 to 16. What's the fruit? What, what's the end result? How do we know that this is increasingly becoming the culture in which we live here at Trinity Community Church? To the pure. All things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but by their works they deny him being detestable and disobedient and unfit for any good work. Let me translate that. And this, this, this one stung and it's going to sting. Can you find a dirty joke or an inappropriate joke or an uncomely joke in anything? That's what it's saying. Does any word or event turn into innuendo with you and your friends? Many claim to love Christ, but what do you do? What do you say? What do you watch when you're most relaxed? Chapter two, speak only what's appropriate under the gentle light of the truth. Are you second by second becoming an older man who models godliness? Do not read Paul's instructions for, godly, for older men and think, oh, I'm not an old man yet. Are you right now, second by second, you are becoming an older man right now, gentlemen. You are becoming an older man. You can't stop it. Are you becoming an older man who models godliness? Listen to me. Would others describe you as filtered or unfiltered? Dignified or undignified? level? Or extreme, firm in God's confidence, godly affection, Godward hope, or shaky in your belief, conditional in how you love, and erratic in your discipline. Ladies, are you on track to becoming a model of elegant femininity in old age? Would others say that you are reverent? Or sloppy, trustworthy, or catty, sloshy, or reliable for godly counsel, career obsessed, or committed to younger women in the faith? What's the direction of your life? Marriage, motherhood, the home, primarily? Or being a boss mama? Thought that was a good play on words. Does your life illustrate the book of Proverbs? Or does it more resemble your TikTok feed? Are you ready to work at home? To be kind to a husband and children? Submissive? Or does your life defame God's word? I mean, Paul puts it in really sharp terms. The Holy Spirit puts it in sharp turns. Young men, young men, would elders applaud you? Would they applaud you? I'm not asking how you pretend to be in front of them. I'm saying would they applaud your life as it really is? Would they send their boys to spend a week with you because they're impressed by your example? Would your pastors trust you to teach a Sunday school class? Or if they found out you're teaching one, would have you yanked out of there? Could every young woman in your life call you dignified? What words can people hold against you whether spoken aloud or text silently? What bad thing could the accuser say that would stick? your name employees how are you doing you obey are your supervisors pleased by your work ethic or do you argue with them would you take something from your workplace or use company hours for yourself Or are you resolutely reliable, trustworthy, exemplifying the ideal employee? Everyone, whether male or female, whether young or old, whether employee or employer, do we grasp that every second of our life either decorates Christian doctrine with ornaments that display its beauty or excrement. Those are our only two options. Chapter 2 verses 11 to 15. For the grace of God has appeared. I know it felt, felt heavy, didn't it? Well, that's, that's the point. And, and, and Paul is perfectly timed under the supervision of the Holy Spirit. For the grace of God has appeared. Who is that? That's Christ. That's Jesus. He is the grace of God who has become visible, bringing salvation to all men. That's what the grace of God in Christ does. And so many people stop there. What else does the grace of God do? Instructing us that... Denying ungodliness and worldly desires, we should live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's who he is. He's our God. He's our Savior. He's coming back and we're living in light of that. That's what the grace of God instructs us to do. And so if you look at your life and you say, I'm not being instructed to live godly lives, to renounce the desires of my body and my imagination and to slave myself for righteousness sake, looking at the king's return and my future reign with him, my heart's enlarging towards that. If you're looking at your life and you're saying, that's not happening to me, then you have every reason in the world to say, I am not a Christian. Lord, save me, save me. Because that's the definition of a Christian. And he's so gracious. He saves. He saves. He saves all men, yeah. But 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 I'm I'm not counted among all people. Really? How can all means all means all means all? All is all. All means if you're a part of all men, then the grace of God is for you. But if you want to just stay in your sin then you cannot claim that you've received the grace of God. What wakes us up to live sober and right and godly and hopeful in the future reign? The grace that saves. Can we live in sin and say that we've been saved by Jesus? If he, verse 14, gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. We're bubbling over. And when we don't do good works, when when we find ourselves in a moment of of, of laziness or even a season of of apathy and lethargy, we've got this bubbling over spirit that just can't stay there. It brings, my friends, listen, so many people are self-medicating these days because they're dealing with spiritual realities and it's never going to help the spiritual man if you're not dealing with the inner man and especially a Christian, a redeemed spirit in a fallen unredeemed body, we are the most conflicted of all people on the planet. If you're giving yourself to sin, if you're resisting the word of God in some area and you're experiencing depression, do not be surprised. Your spirit wants to obey. It's no wonder that you're at odds with yourself. My friends, I speak from experience. I've been there and how joyful it is. It's life and joy and peace to live in submission to the Lordship of Christ. He's so good. His yoke is light, his burden's easy. Sin is a cruel slave master. What if I want Jesus as Savior but not as Lord? Verse 15. What does Paul say to Titus? These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. These are non-negotiable. These are not to be debated. These are not up for discussion. You command these things, Titus. I've made many mistakes in ministry. But I pray that you do not confuse me as someone that's saying... Take it or leave it. I'm saying this is necessary. This is non-negotiable. This is the Christian. Chapter 3. How will the Christian act? How How will Christian strength act? It'll be subject and obedient to authority. It'll be eager to do any good thing that needs to be done. You found something good that needs to be done? Do it. That's what Christians do. They don't complain. They, they don't go home and say, oh, I wish that, you know, our servant leadership team would start doing that. I wish that our senior leaders would start doing that. I wish Sam would do this or that. That's definitely a no-no. You don't ever say that, okay? Are you eager to do any good thing? If you see a good thing, say, hey, can I do that? I'd like to do that. That's how Christians act. And what won't we witness it do? Verse two, insult anyone, pick fights, fall or fail to be sensitive or thoughtful, lack gentility. Why won't we witness the godly misbehaving as a way of life? Verse three, we are the only ones on earth who know what it was to be stupid, stubborn, swindled and enslaved to doing whatever we felt and fancied, wasting our lives, wishing bad on others, wishing we had what others did, resenting them for having it, just plain old hating people. But, verses four to eight, when the kindness and affection of God our Savior appeared. I love those buts in Titus. You've got this this burden of what it looks like to be an older man, older woman, younger man, younger woman, slave, master. But the grace of God. We remember what it was like apart from the grace of God. But the grace of God. But when the kindness and affection of God our Savior appeared, Jesus, he saved us. Not by works which we did in righteousness, no such thing. But according to his mercy through the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, not our effort, we would become heirs, heirs, royalty, according to the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. You want something to believe? You want something to take to the bank? You want to take something home tonight? Take those words. And concerning these things, again, Paul says to Timothy, or Titus, I want you to speak how? Confidently. So that those who have believed God will be intent to lead in good works. Folks, I got to get up here. I got to speak this as if it is the life and death reality because it is. And the result will be that you will become intent, devoted to good works, fueled by the grace of the gospel. Fueled by the hope of eternal life. Fueled by the future reign with Christ. You'll say, I can't get enough done for him. What else can I do? These things are good and profitable for men. How confident? How intent to lead? How good and profitable for mankind? Keep reading. Confident and intent enough to expel a divisive man from church if he refuses a first and a second gentle warning. Why? Because no matter how likable, he is perverted. Divisive man. My friends, of the things that God considers an abomination, one who sows discord between brothers, one who divides, God abominates. The truth leads to godliness, disciples, defines church leadership, reproves works, shapes manhood, shapes womanhood, makes men, makes workers, transforms, composes, saves, profits, protects, and it serves. So, verses 12 to 13, and here we close. When Paul says to Titus, Speed to me, it's what he says literally in Greek Speed to me, you sprint. When he says jump, we ask, how high? We ensure every Christian work is well-resourced and supported. No pressing need goes unmet. No believer in our midst, look to your right, your left, your front, your back, no believer gets to go unfruitful. And to the extent you see one another unfruitful, you are to speak to it. Truth will not allow it. Love will not allow it. The grace of God will not allow it. Father, we ask, O oh Lord, that you would launch us into this spring with this charge. We ask, O oh God, that the grace of our Lord Jesus and the hope of reigning with him forever would just ignite a passion in us. We thank you for the letter written to Titus. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining me for this sermon from the Trinity College and Young Adult Ministry. We would love for you to join us in person soon. For up-to-date information, follow our Instagram at trinityc.ya. For information regarding Trinity Community Church, visit trinitycc.com. Until he returns, may the Lord bless you and keep you the Lord make his face shine upon you.